At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today. Um, You can turn your Bibles there. But, uh, you know, I want to be honest with everybody here today, and if you're watching online, I just want to be honest with you. I had a very, very, very hard time putting together this sermon, and the reason I had a hard time putting together this sermon is because, well, the Holy Spirit was telling me to repent. The Holy Spirit was telling me to repent because I have these real judgmental tendencies, these really incredibly pessimistic views of people, of life, of circumstances, and it's going to really make this Pharisee that we're going to read about look like a saint, right? So, so God was convicting me this whole week, and it was very hard to put it together because who am I to share this with all of you, right? Um, but earlier this week, I, I want to share what happened what, earlier this week. Earlier this week at 3 in the morning, my daughter Kate, she wakes up screaming, Screaming, just, you know, yelling real loud, 3 a.m. Um, she was having a nightmare, right? She was having a nightmare, and it was horrible. And so what do I do as a loving father? I go into the room, and I yell at her, go back to sleep. <laughs> it is 3 a.m., go back to sleep. And so she's yelling at me now, and I'm yelling at her, right? Because it's 3 a.m., and, you know, her will and her wits knows no end, just like mine. And so we're yelling at each other, go to sleep. No, Dad, I can't go to sleep. Go to sleep, otherwise I'm going to take away your toys, I'm going to take away snacks. You know what? You can sleep outside with the wolves, and that's what I'm telling her, right? That's going to convince a three-year-old to go back to sleep, right? Um, you know, that, that's, it, that, that's partly my fault. I'll admit that. That's partly my fault. And the reason it's my fault is because, you know, before bedtime, around dinner time, I, I gave her big, big, you know, big boy. We went to big boy and we had dinner, right? Just the two of us because, you know, mommy said, hey, go eat whatever you want. You know, make it fun. And so I'm just like, yes, that means a burger for me and you can get whatever you want at big boy, which meant, you know, a big bottle of apple juice outside with whatever else you're going to eat, right? And so, you know, we have dinner. It was great junk food, right? And then, you know, we get in the car going back home and, you know, the rest of the night, you know what? Junk food. Rest of the night. You can have snacks. You can have candy. You can have whatever you want, right? Because I'm a great dad. I'm a great dad. And so bedtime rolls around. Bedtime rolls around, you know, and she says, well, I don't want to go to sleep. And so what do I say? You know, daughter, I love you so much, but if you don't sleep right now, right now, the wolves are out of hibernation, and they will come and eat little girls who are not in their beds, Right? Because, yeah, you can judge me. That's fine, right? I can receive that. Um, but like that, that's what I'm saying. So at 3 in the morning, who's to blame for that nightmare beside me, right? And, and so God is showing me these things this week, and he's saying, Jonathan, 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 what is wrong with you, right? Um, but but any, of you, any of you have made $5 problems to $500 problems like me? Yeah? Oh, yeah. I think most of us, right? And so that's where our story takes us in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 36 through 50. Let's read it together. It says this, one of the Pharisees asked him, this is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now which of them loved him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began saying to amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we exalt you, God. Be gracious to us. Be gracious, God, because you secured victory. You forgive our sins. You tell us to go in peace. That is your provision for us. And there are things in our lives, God, that we overlook. And sometimes we even feel attacked or trampled or, or oppressed and afraid. And we, we just we forget to give thanks. Lord, we thank you for quietly loving us, gently caring for us, because it's under the shadow of your wings that we can walk before you in a manner that you deem worthy. God, I ask that there's a supernatural peace today that overcomes our hearts, that supersedes our needs and our wants and our desires, Father, so that we can constantly live devoted to you. Help us receive your love and grace because you deserve our attention and our affections. Help us see us, sorrows, as you always see us. God, give us a sense of worth that only comes from your spirit. Let it manifest in our actions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, I want to share with you What's going on? Really, because what's going on in our lives is we're saved like this woman is saved, but in reality, we live like this Pharisee. We live cheap. We live judgmental. We live condescending. We live pessimistic. And it's not a good way to live. In fact, it's a sinful way to live, and we have allowed it in our lives way too long. I want to do a deep dive. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined with him. So here's some context. Early in this chapter, in Luke chapter 7, what, Jesus, what we see Jesus do is this. He heals a centurion servant, right? A Roman centurion, someone who's not Jewish, comes and says, Jesus, heal my servant. I need the servant. And Jesus says, well, it's going to be done, right? And this servant is healed. People witness that. And so after that, Jesus is traveling along, and then he brings back to life a widow's son, the lifeblood of family is restored because of Jesus. And then right after that, what we see is the disciples of John the Baptist, they come along and they ask Jesus, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the coming king? And Jesus says, well, look at the things that are happening around you and then you decide. And so here we pick up the story because the Pharisee is looking at all these things and he's trying to assess who this man Jesus is because assuredly all these things that Jesus is doing have caught 
the interest of a Pharisee, right? And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to invite you to dinner. I'm going to see the type of man you really are. And so he invites him to dinner. And so we, we see this happening here. And so I, I want to give you some more context to understanding the mentality and the mindset of this Pharisee because this is really important for us, right? Um, this is in verses 28 to 30. We didn't read this together. I'm going to read it to you. Jesus says, right, and this is him talking to the disciples of John the Baptist, I tell you, among those born of women, none are greater than John. Yet the one who is the least of these in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And in parentheses, Luke writes this, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Right? And if you read in between the lines of what Luke is writing, what we understand is that Pharisees had high status as influential leaders, right? And that they practiced a version of their faith with the hopes that God would yield to their will because of their strict religious practice and their moral purity. This is what the, the, the Pharisees had. This is what their underlying thought is, right? Any of us ever practice religion this way? Any of us practice faith this way? All rules, no grace, right? Shaming people who don't achieve or who don't live up to the standards that we put out before them, right? This was the Pharisee. This is the situation his mindset's at, right? So while they were at dinner, in verse 37, this is what we see. And behold, a woman of the city, and this is to say that this woman lived in the city that Jesus was eating dinner at, who was a sinner when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And so tradition tells us that this person was a sinner because of her prostitution. Luke doesn't actually say that here. Luke doesn't call her a prostitute. We don't actually know what her sin is. And that detail that was omitted by Luke, that, that was done on purpose because it doesn't matter the type of sin that one commits before God. We all fall short of the glory and the holiness and the greatness and the righteousness of God. A sinner is a sinner. A sin is a sin is a sin. There is no difference in the type of sin that one commits that makes you more or less holy or pure. We're all unpure. We're all unholy before God, right? And Luke's want us, Luke, this, this is what he actually wants us to pick up, right? He wants to pick up that she is known as a sinner. She is known as a sinner, right? It's not hidden. It's not a hidden sin. It's public. People know about it. People, whether she tried to hide it or not, knows that she sins. And this is where we all find ourselves, right? Regardless of who we think we're hiding our sins from, we all should know that our sins are known by God. There's no doubt about it, right? There's no doubt about it. And so this sinner came and sought after Jesus just so that she could be where Jesus was. And we have no idea why. We absolutely have no idea because Luke never tells us. And this is important because whatever Jesus did for her or said to her, it meant great things for her. It changed her life. This is what we do know. It changed her life so much so that she was moved to action. And she was moved to degrade herself in that love, in that action. And verse 38 says, and standing behind them at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This unnamed woman, this sinner, shows us an essential part about experiencing God's grace in Jesus. That grace received from Jesus results in great love for Jesus. Right? Just imagine the level of grace that you would have had to receive for you to affectionately love Jesus in the way she did, 
right? These, these feet that she's anointing, they're not baby feet. They haven't been carried around all day, right? And they don't smell good. These are men's feet, grown men's feet, right? These are grown men's feet that have been walking around the dirt in sandals, sweating in the desert heat all day long. They haven't been washed. They haven't been cleaned. God knows what he stepped in, right? And these are the feet that she lowers herself and says, you know what? My Savior, these are my Savior's feet. I'm going to show my Savior love to the dirtiest part of his body, to the part that have been walking around in the dirt. And so what we have to see, and this is what's so interesting about this, each successive action of love that this woman makes for Jesus increases her love for Jesus. It increases her devotion towards Jesus. I, I want us to see this, right? So the tears, the tears, they, they roll off your face, right? Would, would you all agree? Tears drop off, right? They have no part of your body. Once they're off your body, they're off your body. And so these tears, as they're, they're falling on the feet of Jesus, you know, because his feet are dusty, they're making mud, right? Dirt and tears equal mud, right? That's what happens. And so she takes this mud now because that's what his feet are caked in and uses her hair as a mop, yeah, you can cringe a little, right? The, the, she's using her hair as a mop. So while your tears are not connected with you, your hair is, for those of us who have hair, right? Your hair is connected to you, and they don't have shampoo. They don't have antibacterial, right? That, that's sort of stuck. So when you use your hair as a mop, it's stuck with you until you wash. And so th this is what she's placing herself. This is the type of love that she's giving. But if that's not enough, you know what she does? She goes and kisses those muddy feet with her mouth. And if you've ever kissed anybody in your life, what you realize is that, yes, saliva, yes, sometimes you swallow things that you shouldn't, right? You're going to taste things because that's what kissing is. It's like licking, right? And so whatever Jesus stepped on and that mud, that, that's, that's in your mouth now. Yeah, cringe, cringe some more, right? But this is love, this is love. This is exactly what she's doing. And I think this is important for us because what she does is she continues to love him more and more no matter how degrading it becomes for her. And then she takes ointment, right? And this is something beautiful, right? This alabaster flask, Luke says. Alabaster is like a type of rock. It's a type of marble or quartz. But it's a once-in-a-lifetime type of ointment. You buy it once in your life because you can't afford to buy it again. And so women back in the day, they, that's what they would carry, right? You would carry that from your father's house. And then when you got married, you carried that the rest of your life. That's it. There, there's no refills on this. This is expensive, right? And so she pours it out like mop water. This once-in-a-lifetime possession, she pours out like mop water in an instance. But this is a type of response to Jesus we all should have that we would be willing to pour out and give ourselves at the feet of Jesus and lay it before him because of what he did for us, right? He paid the cost on that cross, and it cost him his life. And I want to ask us, family, does our affection towards Jesus reflect that type of passion, that type of love? And if not, then we need to deliberately love Jesus because the more we love Jesus, the more our affections towards Jesus will grow. That's the truth. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, 
he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Did, did you see what's happening here? He is being judgmental, right? Any of us see anybody loving somebody else and was so judgmental by it? Yeah, right? Some of you kids to your parents, right? This guy judged Jesus for receiving love from this woman. It was instantaneous. There was no hesitation, right? And what we see from this Pharisee is that grace refused from Jesus results in little love for Jesus. Simon, the Pharisee, he concludes that Jesus could not be a true prophet because he allowed the sinner to touch him. And in, in Simon's mind, right, this sin of this woman put her in a lower category than himself. It put her in a lower category of person than him. And since he was the one who invited Jesus, and Jesus accepted this woman who was in a lower category than this Pharisee, this Pharisee could not, could not receive Jesus because that would mean that he would be put in a lower category as well. And so just looking at these two characters, it shows us that our response to Jesus reveals our grasp of God's grace. I, I want to pause here for a second because there, there's a little thing that we have to pick up in verse 39. I, I want to know if any of you caught this. The Pharisee who had invited him saw this. This is the part I want you to catch. He said to himself, he said to himself, right? He was talking to himself. The Pharisee was talking to himself, not out loud, but to himself. It was in his mind. And so this Pharisee may have invited Jesus to dinner, but he was a pretty bad host. He didn't say two words to Jesus before this, right? It, it, what kind of host is that? What kind of host is that, right? So he's having an internal dialogue by himself. And in verse 40, Jesus answers him. He answers the Pharisee's internal di dialogue, Simon. This is the first time we actually see his name. I have something to say to you. And Simon says, say it, teacher. How many people here talk to themselves? You can raise your hand, right? For those of you who didn't raise your hands, I know you're hesitating. I know, I know you're hesitating because your internal dialogue says, well, if I out myself as having an inner voice, well, that's gonna make me look crazy, right? And so it's okay. We all know that you have an internal dialogue. It just took you a little longer than the rest of us, right? And so this internal dialogue that we all have, right, it, it may not be audible because if that was audible, that'd be a little bit of a problem and it may not be complete sentences, right? But what we do have to understand is that all of us have an internal dialogue that helps us decide to do one thing or another, to think one thing or another, and because when we think it, it actually happens and we act it out, this is what our internal dialogue does. And so this is being epitomized by this Pharisee. His pessimistic, judgmental, internal dialogue is coming out, right? And Jesus wants us to see this because it's through our internal dialogue that we actually perceive and receive Jesus, because that's exactly what happened with the, the Pharisee, right? This is where God also meets us and talks to us in real life, right? And as a result, the direction of our internal dialogue reveals how much grasp we have on God's grace. So our judgmental tendencies, right, our mean streaks, our seeing the worst in people, our pessimism, our skepticism, it comes from our internal dialogue. It comes from our internal dialogue. It, we, we, see, we think it in our heads and then it becomes reality when we act it out. And so when we look at this passage from the lens of psychology, because now I, I want to look at this from the lens of psychology because there, there's two psychological concepts that are coming in play here, right? And these internal dialogues that we all have, they're being shaped and they're being played out right here in the Bible. And the two things I want you to see is learned helplessness and learned optimism. 
learned helplessness from the Pharisee and learned optimism from this unnamed woman sinner, right? And so I'm going to explain what those two things are because it becomes real interesting to us as we shape and think about how we act and respond to certain things. So learned helplessness is the belief that adverse situations are unavoidable and that the outcomes of those situations are unchangeable. And so those people who live in disguise and live with that belief, they act in a way that minimizes the damage that they take on from these unchangeable outcomes, right? So let, let me translate that for us, right? The end result of life is pain and death. So we're going to do everything in our power, everything that we can to protect ourselves, to numb, or to shed, shelter ourselves from that outcome, Right? And so we act selfishly, we act stingily, we act condescendingly. Why? Because we want to protect ourselves from what could be an outcome. Right? And so the Pharisee epitomizes that with his judgmentalness. Right? We, we learn that his mentality is this learned helplessness in how he treats Jesus. Right? And so when we have this thought, when we have this thought as a believer, as someone who's been redeemed, what we're saying is, you know what, even though our eternity, we believe that our eternity is secured in Christ, in our reality, we don't believe it. And so we don't live like our eternity's been redeemed in Christ because we have this underlying belief that we are helpless and that pain and death are the only outcomes, that the only way to protect ourselves is to be condescending, to be judgmental, to be pessimistic. Now, uh, that, that's all to say that here, what we find is learned optimism on the flip side. That's what this woman shows us, right? If our internal dialogue isn't colored by this learned helplessness, it must be through learned optimism that we live out our actions. So learned optimism is the very opposite of this learned helplessness, right? So it's the belief that adverse situations are not permanent, nor are they pervasive. What that means is that when we give ourselves over to Jesus, our eternity changes and our lives reflect that truth because it is truth, it is reality, right? And that the outcome of our lives, even though our circumstances right now might be horrible or dire, they are not permanent and they do not define us. God has already defined us, right? We are heirs of the most high God of heaven who created this world, who created us, each and every one of us in his image. And so as we receive Jesus as our savior, any prison or pain that we find ourselves in becomes temporary in light of an eternity with God. That is truth. That is, should be our mindset. And I want us all to live in that mindset because if we don't, we're going to fall into this trap that this Pharisee has fallen into, right? And, and I mean, just, just look at Christianity, where it thrives. It thrives in culture and, and the world and circumstances are dire and oppressed and repressed. And the reason is because they peg their hope not in what's happening now, but what happens in heaven, what's happening in heaven. And that's where we need to be focused because if we are not focused on that, we miss the point of praying and living out, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Right? So this is what we have to do. Uh, go, go to verse 41 with me. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them loved him more? Simon answered, because he wasn't sure, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I have come in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he who is forgiven little loves little. And here's my last point, that our actions of love reveal a faith that saves. Our actions of love reveal a faith that saves. You, you see, the creditor forgives the debt of two people, right? The, the debtors, it doesn't matter that one debt is 10 times the other, are both in the same situation. They cannot pay. It doesn't matter how much debt is, they cannot pay, regardless, right? And so what we have to understand is the point is with the creditor. The creditor was generous. The creditor graciously forgives their debt. It puts them and makes them equal, right? This is what's amazing. And so Jesus contrasts the actions of Simon, the sinful but self-righteous, judgmental Pharisee with this woman from the city who knows and is aware of her sinfulness. Simon didn't think he needed grace or Jesus' salvation, but this woman knew that she desperately needed it and clung to it. You see, in Jesus' day, it would have been customary for a host to greet a guest. I think it's still customary for a host to greet his or her guest, right? And I mean, when you're visiting for a meal, what would have been expected in the first century is some water to wash your dirty feet when you're coming to the house. There would have been some olive oil to refresh your hands and your face before dinner. And Simon did none of these things. Simon, the Pharisee, didn't think he was a sinner. And he rejected Jesus because he had no need for love from Jesus. Uh, Look at verse 48. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the women, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This grace that Jesus offers this woman is the same grace that's offered to each and every one of us today. It's not earned. It doesn't come with conditions. It doesn't have prerequisites. We simply need to recognize our need for it. And Jesus gives it to us freely at cost to himself. The good news is that God sent his one and only son to pay for his sin. And when we believe in this Jesus, in his love, in his sacrifice for us, we receive God's grace and we experience his unmerited favor. And that causes us to move and see the world to respond with that same very love and devotion to the one who loves us in that way, right? Experiencing God's love and grace results in radical love. And our internal dialogue as a result of that, right, it goes away from being judgmental or cynical or pessimistic to optimism, resulting in thoughts and actions that may seem odd to everybody around us, but the display of devotion is apparent and clear to our King, to our Savior, Jesus. You you see, I I was 16 years old when I received Jesus Christ, right? When I received Jesus as my Savior, I was ditching school that day, right? And and that's not to be like, hey, I was a bad person. I, I wasn't that bad of a person. I was this Pharisee, right? But the good news transformed my life. And in fact, this person who introduced me to Jesus, he was a gangbanger, and I leave that part of the story out because that looks bad right? That looks bad for me because this gangbanger who I knew sold drugs, robbed people, stole from people, right? He, he, he beat people, left them, left them half death, right? I would constantly, frequently go judge that person and say, man, you are just horrible. You're a horrible person. You're a horrible person. You know, I, I grew up in church. I knew the words. I knew the judgment. I, I think all of us do, right? But I acted like a sinner, who had no need for God. I was self-righteous, but my friend who desperately knew he needed God said, you know what? You're gonna die if you don't hear this. 
And he shared Jesus with me that day, right? That, that is what changed my life. When God said, you are also a no good sinner. Yeah, you never killed anyone. You never robbed anyone. You never sold drugs. But you were self-righteous. Jonathan, you were self-righteous. You knew all these things and still lived in a way that doesn't reflect my glory. And so Jesus resurrected on the third day, changes our eternity forever. That's what we're celebrating three weeks from now, right? The outcomes of those who believe in God are assured. And the question is, do we receive that love and grace and still live like a Pharisee? Or do we live like this woman who knows everything has changed because of her faith? How will your action of love reveal what you see and receive from Jesus Christ, your Savior? And maybe you're at that place where your next action of love is to get baptized because you, you never accepted Jesus. And when you did, you, you never wanted to make that public. Well, make your intentions known. Make this an act of devotion. Show people why. Tell people why. April 17th, we're having baptism. Show up. We're going to help you, right? Maybe your next act of love is to be generous with your finances. You saved and you pinched hoping that your world would change, but you would recognize like this woman that pouring out what you hold most precious before God's feet will result in a greater blessing for you. You can start by giving toward the mission of the church. That's one easy step. Maybe your next action step of love is for you to serve in a ministry area or with one of our community partners, right? CHN, that's one of our partners, right? Share the love of God because God has given you experiences that you shouldn't be pessimistic about, that you shouldn't regret, but these experiences, these talents, these skills that you have been given and been blessed by, they are rare and you were given for his purposes just for this moment, Maybe it's like what Lauren said, and you take a hold of someone who wants to have a spiritual conversation, who desperately needs to have a spiritual conversation, and actually have a conversation in bravery, with courage. Maybe none of us, maybe you're not even there yet. Maybe your first step of love is to say, God, I receive you. To say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I need you in my life. I need you for my life because I can't save myself. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me right now. Let's pray. Family, let's pray together because Jesus' great grace for us is so awesome and so amazing. Father in heaven, some of us are praying to receive you. We're receiving you as your Savior, your Son, God, Jesus. We, we need to admit our need for our debts to be paid, Father. And by believing that your son paid the price on the cross, God, we, we know that it's going to change our outlook. We know that it's going to take whatever thought and mentality and view of what we had about who we are, and it's going to radically change it. God, we confess that your resurrection secures our eternity and that nothing happens here in our lives will change that outcome. And Lord, you give us, you give us a brand new outlook you give us refreshment to our souls, and you give us hope that we are your heirs. Father, for the rest of us, I ask that you help us respond to you faithfully in obedience to your Spirit's calling, moving with love, with this radical love that this woman has shown you, God. God, give us the courage, courage to take one step toward that purpose, toward the calling that you are giving us, God. Let us live with a great love for you. Because we know that's exactly why you invited us into a relationship. So that we can live with a purpose that comes from loving you. Give us boldness in our lives. God, we, we want to reflect this grace that has 
bestowed upon us that shines upon our face. God, help us manifest loves in ways that only you could design for us. Let every facet of our unique circumstances be used. Be used to love people, to serve people, because you have moved those people into our lives for a reason. Sanctify us with your truth today and create in us boldness so that your glory can unfold perfectly in our lives and in this world because we desire love to be in us and overflow through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.